Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yes. how you doing? I'm glad to be back. Oh, that's right. I wasn't yeah. on the podcast last week. I know. Um, you were missed. But I'm back here just in time to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Yeah. We're not making a big deal out of it. We're just doing a yeah uh episode but because we made a, a huge deal out of 500 right we so would have been we uh, had to weigh like which would be yeah. a bigger deal and i don't know they're both pretty big obviously yeah. but uh but yeah there's uh 52 weeks in a year we do one episode a week so no. by that math episode 520 is our 10 year anniversary yeah it's been a hell of a ride yeah, it's it it does it does make me uh reflect back on, you know, how things were when we first started and uh Let's, um, in so many ways. Where did we record our first episode? First episode was your apartment on was it Van Ness? It's actually on Canyon. Canyon. Yes. Not not the Canyon in Beverly Hills with the little uh accent over the end that looks mm. like the word Canyon, but it's oh, pronounced right. Canyon yes, yes. because they, this is Canyon Drive. Uh, in, in Hollywood near Tytown. Yeah. Uh, 1738 Canyon Drive Apartment 202. I'm happy to tell you that. Not sure. there anymore. Sure. <laughs> um, so you can, you can go, uh, yeah, check out, see if there's still Berber carpet there. Um, that, that apartment. Um, yeah, after that apartment, I, uh, decided hardwood only. I'm a hardwood only guy. Hmm. Um, personally. Um, I think it might have to do with being uh, having cats and also technically being allergic. Sure, like having cats sure. being allergic, like uh, carpet, like hardwoods easier to get the. Anyway, that's what we're talking about. So you were uh, we recorded it at uh, again seventeen thirty eight Canyon Drive apartment two hundred two. Right. Uh, my uh, uh, building manager's name was Rudy. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped me. Uh, he jump started my car for me more than once uh, because I was so broke that I had, I had a very shitty car. I think you were um, working at the ArcLight when we started. That is true. Yes, I was working at the ArcLight, and you were working at Blockbuster Video. That's right. Only one of those things still exists. <laughs> yeah. Except in Alaska, where it's the other way around. Only one of them still exists. That's true. The ArcLight <laughs> yeah. was flourishing ten years ago <laughs> in Alaska. Uh, but now there are ArcLights in other parts of the. Yeah. There's a Chicago one, right? I think so. And yeah. I want to say like. DC maybe is there a DC archive? I don't know. I knew Chicago, but uh... um, anyway, uh, yeah, I w- yeah. But there, w- there weren't even more- at that time there was there wasn't even more than one ArcLight in Los Angeles. Yeah. There was the ArcLight, which is still yeah. I still feel like when people say the ArcLight, they're referring to ArcLight Hollywood, right? Yeah, that's my even assumption. though yeah. Now there's Sherman Oaks was the second one. Yeah. There's Pasadena, there's Pasadena, Culver City, and Beach Cities, which I've never been to. Okay, uh, yeah. which I think is in Manhattan Beach. Um, yeah, uh, I've never been down there, uh, but I've been to the all the other ones. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you uh, were uh, dating somebody else at the time. Yes, living with someone, uh, someone else uh, entirely. Um, and now I am married. Um, no. I still have one of the cats I had at the time. Right, the other one, you know, went off with that person when we parted ways, and has yeah. since passed on that uh, that cat uh r.i.p uh, dostoevsky uh, he was a good uh cat with uh definitely used up his nine lives um yeah and, that's right yeah and uh, like the day we moved in did i tell you that i'm sure i told you that story i don't know listeners know that story that we almost had to have him put down the day we moved into that apartment oh. 1738 canyon drive apartment 202 because he had eaten because he would eat everything right string related like you couldn't like you had to 
in my uh, with with Dostoevsky, you had to you took your shoes off, you had to tuck your shoelaces inside your shoes, or else when you had to put them back on, he would have eaten the laces off. Yeah. Um, any apartment I ever lived in with him, the uh, the the window blind thing would get chewed off because he would he just liked to chew on string type things. Mm. So he'd eaten a bunch of string. It became embedded embedded in his lower intestine, and he couldn't his he couldn't digest. He wasn't functioning. And uh, we took him to the vet, and they were like, um, "Yeah, we can do a surgery. It's going to be three thousand dollars." Yeah, this was a month after I had moved to Los Angeles. I arrived in Los Angeles with thirty five dollars in my pocket, and uh, uh, and and one I think one final video store paycheck uh on the way which is means like another 140 bucks like yeah. it was like i had a a big windfall coming and i you know made enough money as a pa to put down like the security deposit in the first month's rent yeah. on this apartment and i was cleaned out again pretty much uh and we just had to make this decision like we don't have the money to save this cat um and they and so we told them and uh and then they called us back and they were like, uh, we can have a vet in training, do it for 50% off. And we decided, okay, let's, you know, use a credit card and spend $1,500, uh, to save this cat. Um, and so that was, uh, that was the day we were moving in. Our friend, our friend, Frank, feel my wrath McGrath at one point had to help. He was essentially moving us in by himself because we had to go to the vet. Right. We only had the U-Haul for the one day. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a story I've never told. I don't think on the podcast. Yeah. I don't think so. Moving in. Um, yeah. And you were living on Whitset. Yeah. 6550 Whitset apartment number one. Apartment number one. Um, (laughs) yeah. And it's, uh, and you know it's it's interesting logistically my life has not really changed that much. Uh, I don't know that's true. I mean like we got a ha- we we lived in that place until we got a house a few years ago. Yeah. But like we don't have kids. But we you're have back a, in we school, have a, you have a different now, job. In the last year it has yeah. really uh changed a lot, you know. We have a new cat. We still have Charlie, but now we have Molly as well. I'm going to school, and then Jen put this out on out there on Facebook, so like it's public knowledge now, I guess that uh, she and I are working towards uh, adopting a kid. Um, oh, thank you very much. We're very good people. Uh, I'm all, very excited. I know you are, and I am as well. It's 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 definitely um, it's on the horizon. Uh, for a long time, it was. Uh, uh, an abstraction and we don't know who the kid's going to be. We'll right. just wait and see. But, uh, but yeah, we, we're not, you know, it, there's a sad bit here, which is, you know, we are not able to have kids, uh, which we found out last year. Uh, but that's all right because now we're moving towards this other thing. And so, uh, things could be very different, uh, for us in, in six months to a year. And, uh, but as it is, it's just been the two of us, for the last, uh, by which I mean me and Jen, but then also you and me for the last uh, ten years, and uh, yeah, and uh, we've gotten to meet. I've gotten to meet some listeners all over the world, and we've gotten to have a lot of people. You remember, I believe it was episode three that you mentioned meeting Jimmy Pardo, seeing him at the ArcLight. You were working right. there, and you went to say something, and. And then he mentioned meeting you and mentioned Battleship Pretension on his episode of Never Not Funny. And we were like, holy shit, this is so exciting. We have made it. Yeah. 
And since then, we've had Jimmy on the show many times, uh, along with a number of people that uh, were, uh, in some cases, personal heroes like uh, Maurice LaMarche and Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah, you just got... We didn't talk about this in the movie journal. You just got a tattoo for your birthday. Your first tattoo. Yes, I did. Bringing our total tattoos between us to one. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, do you want to tell people what it is? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I've been toying with this idea for a tattoo for a long time. And then, uh, and then a few months ago, uh, maybe not like, maybe like a month or two ago, Jen said, Hey, for your birthday, do you want to get, do you want to get that tattoo you've been talking about? for years and i thought like yeah all right because uh tattoos are kind of pricey and so we thought yeah. like okay let's i'm turning 35 not that that's very important but 35 you know firmly in your mid-30s um and realistically about time for you to have a midlife crisis i know people tend to have their midlife crises at 50 crises at 50 but come on let's be a little bit more realistic it might be about time to start yeah. thinking about a midlife crisis. Yeah, it's. I mean, I should have had mine at twenty five <laughs> math, mathematically, um, but uh, we're making jokes about my dead father, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, um, I knew I wanted to get something Citizen Kane related uh, back because I came up with this back when it was my number one. It is now my number two uh, favorite movie of all time. Uh, I am working on a Nashville tattoo uh, that will probably happen next year or the year after. First, I have to get a question mark on my bicep. But um, (laughs) but anyway, so, yeah, I was going to do the sled from Citizen Kane, but I thought like, eh. First off, I don't like the idea of my arm being a spoiler, uh, but then also the, and the sled looks good and I found some really good, uh, images that would work, but I thought, no, let's, maybe I'll just go rosebud. But then I thought, no, no, it's, uh, here's what I'll do is I will take the image of the rose, uh, on the sled yeah. along with the lettering. Yeah. So I, uh. I used my Photoshop skills to trace that onto a, uh, from a still frame of the film, trace that onto its own piece of paper, which they then transferred onto my arm. It looks so, awesome. Thank you very um, much. I bring that up because, uh, your Facebook post, one of the first people to chime in and say, cool tattoo was Maurice Lamarche. Yeah. And he referenced, <laughs> uh, he referenced one of his own lines as Orson Welles from the critic. Uh, yeah. Uh, how, so saw, how cool is that? It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so our, our, our lives are great. They really are. We're, um, we're living Mia's life from the end of La La Land. Like, we made it the way that she did. Sure. I guess in a way that's true in that, you know, when, when listeners have met us, uh, uh-huh. every once in a while they'll be, like, super bashful. The way I was when I first met... Mike and Jimmy had like thing. I think it was their like 50th show or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they did it live at the UCB. Um, and I went to see, I went to see, and afterwards I talked to like Jimmy and, and Matt and Mike. And I was just like super soft spoken and very, very bashful and stuff. And now I, we know all those guys and, uh, and it's no problem at all. But, uh, but when listeners uh, meet us, um, not always, but often there's like, Hey, uh, uh, yeah. Tyler. And it's, and it's, let me tell you, listen, listeners don't, don't know. It's not neat. Don't, don't be like that. We don't, we haven't earned that. Right. And no, that's, makes, I don't mean to, it makes me feel uncomfortable. No, I don't mean to imply that we, uh, that we are at that level or anything, but it right. is, it is fascinating, uh, that people consider us, uh, consider us at any level yeah sorry you know what the people consider us yeah there you go um 
but um, it has been tremendously rewarding. You know what we have now that we didn't have 10 years ago? What's that? Sponsors? Oh, obligations. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we do have uh, a couple of sponsors, including a new one. Um, so this episode is brought to you by the Kickstarter campaign for Hard Road, uh, a 20-minute drama about the intersection of choice, fate, and tradition. It centers around Kylie, a young woman who experiences pregnant, uh, pregnancy, marriage, and loss, culminating in a heartbreaking tragedy that she must weather with patience and strength. Uh, I've actually watched the director's previous film, Devotion, and I really, really liked it. So, uh, it is the touching story with a it is a touching story with a strong female lead. Hard Road's Kickstarter campaign will last until the end of March. Click on the ad at battleshippretension.com for more details. Uh, and we'll be talking about that all, all, all month long. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi are a couple of films by Lamberto Bava, son of the famous Mario Bava. Mm. Uh, Lamberto collaborated with the great Dario Argento to bring you Demons and Demons 2. Both films have plenty of satire and gore to spare. Uh, and there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can, tr- you can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Uh, and I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds uh, in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, as I've mentioned before, they look great. They sound great. Uh, and Tyler and I both uh, stand by them and use them uh, each and every day of our wonderful, wonderful lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find them uh, for a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, uh, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Tyler. Yes. I don't know if this is has to do with our 10 year anniversary. Oh boy, I hope it does. But we do have presents okay. from our friend Jarrett. Well, uh, they present it's a package. I don't know if it's presents. Right, yeah. But uh, I guess they are being presented to us. Yes. Jarrett from Calgary, who likes to send us stuff, and we would like to encourage Jarrett and anyone else who lives in Calgary. Do you need scissors for that? Or no. Okay. Or Edmonton, right? Sure. Or, you know, Medicine Hat, anywhere what? in Alberta. <laughs> you, you don't know about Medicine Hat? I, I guess not. I thought that was, isn't that a comedy album by somebody? Probably. Um, oh, man. Okay. okay I don't what, know if there's a card in here, but Jared has sent us a bunch of stuff. Okay. Holy cow. Um, I'm hoping there's a card somewhere. Oh, my. Okay. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, Here. this guy. Here. You make... We obviously can't read all of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I will try to make uh, heads or tails of this. But I... Uh, yeah, we love getting stuff from uh, from listeners, especially Canadian and Australian listeners, because you guys have such great candy. And I'm going to start here as you're going through that. We got some coffee crisps. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I found, a, I found a random coffee crisp in my closet uh, two weeks ago, <laughs> uh, probably from this guy. And I was so excited. And I ate it and realized, nope, it was there for too long. Oh, and no. it was, uh, it, uh, I think I shattered my tooth. Uh, there are separate, oh, I, I love coffee there crisps. are separate letters for us, Dave. Okay, There's well, we obviously can't read all you. of these. Um, 
but hopefully they're, they're, they will give us some idea as to uh, what is <laughs> what is for whom. Um, so, uh, do you do you do you see anything here? Uh, not necessarily. I can't quite make it out. So, um, okay, okay, well, we all right, okay. Uh, Butch and Sundance is for me. Okay. Um, as is La Dolce Vita. Okay, so it looks like you got the movies. Okay, you got a, a Blu-ray of Butch Butch, uh, Butch casting the Sundance Kid, and a DVD a Criterion DVD of La Dolce Vita. Right? Wow, that's exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. Now, what do you got there? Uh, I got a bunch of CDs from uh, bands, most of whom I, or two of whom, yeah, some of whom I've heard of. Um, there's uh, Woven War, which is. Uh, um, I think that's the band that came out of a previous band whose lead singer was sent to prison for trying to have his wife killed, and the remaining members were like, fuck that guy, let's start a new band and call it Woven War. Um, and then uh, also he sent me um, uh, the album uh, Z2 by the Devin Townsend Project, which is a great album. I've listened to it on uh, Spotify many many times uh, but now I have a physical copy of it and then some bands We Came as Romans that I've never heard of and uh, I'm not sure how you say this Amaranthi uh, which sounds really but I don't know anything about them so I got some prog metal awesome um, and you got some movies and we, and got, we both uh, got some coffee crisps yeah we both got some coffee crisps which uh, I'm gonna try right now I say try I've had them already Let's not do that. We already tested some listeners' patience by talking about presents we got for, for five minutes. That's true. Uh, but you know what? I'm sure you would have enjoyed that section if it were you who sent us the presents. That's so, true. You can find our P.O. box on the website. We are always open for presents. Right? Open for business. Open, pre- open, open for presents. Our door is always open, much like Tyler uh, will be when he's a film professor. Right? Your door, oh no, very strict office hours. Yes. <laughs> very strict office yes. hours when it comes to Tyler. Uh, I can't wait to listen to some of this uh, this, this music. Uh, yeah, I have, I've not seen either of these films. And they've been uh, really big. Hmm. It's actually very interesting. I, I'm part of a Facebook group. Uh, and just yesterday, or, or uh, either yesterday or the day before, they put out a, a thing saying, you know, what are some movies that you haven't seen that people are astonished you haven't seen? I wrote two titles, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and La Dolce Vita. Wow. That's crazy. What's this guy's name again? Jarrett. Jarrett. Well done, Jarrett. Yeah. If ever I go to Canada, I won't. Um, I will look you up. And, and, well, and also, if you go to Canada, I mean, no offense, you're probably not going to go to Calgary. <laughs> right? That's true. That is very true. Yeah. My dad used to go on a lot of business, tri- business trips to uh, Calgary and hated every moment of it. Now, has he ever been to Medicine Hat? Um. I can't speak to that. Okay. So he's never, he never saw, uh, the medicine hat tigers of the, well, whatever league that is. Oh, what the Canadian league? It's not the, it's not, no, it's a, it's a, it's a minor league hockey team. Oh gosh. It's not yeah. the AHL. Uh, is it the AHL? No, it's not. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I don't uh, know. Maybe it's the QMJHL. That's a thing. The <laughs> Quebec major junior hockey league. <laughs> Jarrett. I blame you for this. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, all right. Um, we now we've got stuff. stuff. Yeah, we got stuff to get to. And I, well, I wanted to talk. We, we've already we've done so many 
top of the show topics at this point, but there's something I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. that I had read online. Now, I don't want to name this critic by name, and I'll tell you why. Because I am a big fan of her, and I don't want to point out something that I don't like. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I learned my lesson yes, absolutely. many years ago. You and I are both big fans of Matt Singer. Mm-hmm. I mentioned something that he said on uh, on his podcast, Film Spotting SVU, that I disagreed with, and a bunch of little wimpy internet snitches <laughs> went and like, told him on me. <laughs> and now I feel like he, this guy that I've always been a fan of, like, uh, only, the only thing he ever heard about me was me uh, talking shit about one thing he said once. But you know that's not true. He, uh, he really liked our uh, video show when we did that and championed that. So. That's right, that's right. And I, I met him at Comic-Con last year. Uh, it is, yeah, definitely my, um, uh, it is very me to just focus on the one time that, Indeed. <laughs> that I, I, don't, I probably didn't even hurt his feelings. He, who the fuck are we to him? Exactly. But, uh, Punching upwards, David. Yeah. So a critic that I like, um, had this theory about Moonlight. Okay. That I, well, I wanted to talk about Moonlight because we talked about, um, you and I talked about this a little bit off mic, but you know, right now Moonlight's win as best picture is so wrapped up in the crazy mistake and the drama of the right. end that I feel like it's not in the immediate aftermath. People aren't, um, as, uh, happy or as cognizant of the import of the win as they, right. as, as they ought to be. But I think, I think I'm hoping that time, once that fades away, time will prove that people do um, uh, respect Moonlight's win because I'm very happy about its win because it is um, in many, in in many ways, it's not the type of movie that wins an Oscar. It has by Oscar standards. It has a very small budget. Um, Oh, speaking of small budgets, did you see what won? You know, the um, Independent Spirit Awards has the Cassavetes Award for like best feature under five hundred thousand or whatever. Somebody mentioned this. Who is and, it? Uh, Spa Night won, which was one That's of my right. uh, through yeah. the cracks picks. So uh, obviously, I very happy for Spa Night. Anyway, so uh, Moonlight as a one point five million dollar movie, minuscule budget, minuscule budget yeah. for an Oscar type movie. Also, the fact that it's uh, takes in entirely takes place entirely within um a uh, an african-american uh milieu and community um and also the fact that it is a movie about um uh lgbt characters yeah. and in both cases both with the having black characters and having gay characters it's not about their suffering for like i mean he goes yeah. through some sure you know, but it's not about uh you know seeing them suffer and overcome prejudice and stuff like right. that. You know, that's all there, I think, uh, yeah. in the fabric of the world they live in. But, uh, it's incredibly for, for all of those reasons. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, a it, it's a, it's a unique win and I hope it, uh, uh, augurs for more, uh, type of wins like this in the future. The other thing is aesthetically, it's not really the type of movie that wins. I think you, would you compared it to, um, and I don't think you weren't, this is also off mic and you, this isn't just the, the, the black characters thing. You compared it to hidden figures. Uh, yeah. Just or, right? culturally, people are talking about that and fences in, in light of Oscar. So white last year, they're right, talking right. about all of these films together. Oh, my favorite thing. Did you watch the, uh, Anthony Anderson, like after show No. on the ABC he had, a uh, um, entertainment journalist and Oscar 
uh, uh, enthusiast or whatever, Chris Conley on. And he said, last year was Oscar. So white now it's Oscar. So what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he said it again. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, um, but uh, uh, aesthetically, it's a different approach than we see. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely think that's true. <clears throat> but here's the argument that this critic made that I don't think is helpful to anyone. Okay. She said, I guess that's a clue. Uh, she said um, um, that in some ways it's an American foreign film. That it's the first American foreign film to win. In that... She felt that the aesthetic influences were not American, and I, 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 I reject that so hard because one of the things I have always loved about movies—maybe um, she meant un-American, like uh, communism or something. <laughs> no, I, I mean she meant. I mean she she. She mentioned people like Wong Kar Wai. Right, I've heard as, that a lot. Um, and that's absolutely true. But of course, Wong Kar Wai doesn't exist without the French New Wave, which doesn't exist without American crime films. Right. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, or actually, that's <laughs> very much relevant. <laughs> yeah, but it is exactly here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, my point is that one of the things I've always loved about film and one of the things I learned from those old uh, landmark theaters bumpers yeah. is that the language of film is universal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, film started, cinema started before <clears throat> there was sound in, in movies and it didn't matter where movies came from in a way, you, no. you know, um, they could be shown anywhere and, and cinema developed its own language uh, in the early days without having to cater to um, the languages spoken and understood by right. its its audiences, and so I think it's revisionist and completely unhelpful to pretend that the American cinema aesthetic is some kind of walled garden, uh, and and that this represents um, some huge departure, you know, like. How, you know how much how much of Kurosawa is there in Spielberg? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's not. Uh, although so, I, mean, I pick I, I picked Kurosawa, who's the most considered the most Western of the great yeah. Japanese directors. So maybe that's a, a bad uh, a bad choice. But um, but it almost in a way it almost makes my point that these let's say like these how boundaries much, don't exist. How much Ozu is in Jim Jarmusch? Sure, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Uh, well, but of course, she's talking about Oscar winners. Oh, okay, fair here. enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. You're actually talking about uh, part of my philosophy in my uh, my teaching this quarter. Uh, so I'm in an American film history class, and it is very much focused on American film and the emergence of Hollywood, um, which is fine. But as we go along, I found myself thinking, like, well, wait a second. We can't be talking about you know this western or this film noir. We can't be talking about these without talking about, you know, we can't talk about film noir mm-hmm. without talking about German expressionism. So, okay, I'm going to do German right, expressionism. Yeah. And then, well, we can't talk about, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on D.W. Griffith, as there should be, but 
we're not going to be talking about any Eisenstein. So I'm going to start. So I did a, I did a week about German expressionism. I did a week about, um, you know, the Russian contribution to editing. Um, I did a week on Italian neorealism and, uh, uh, the the sort of the golden age of Japanese cinema in the 1950s, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Mizuguchi, Ozu, right. and uh, Kurosawa. And, you know, and this week I talked about uh, the auteur theory and just the nature of what that is. Um, and so, and the whole point is, yeah, film is just this, it's this thing that just weaves in and out of these different cultures and it just, and it and every everything it touches, it takes part of that and brings it along with it to this other culture, and then takes that and brings it along with it. And so, ultimately, film is the contribution of uh, film is French, American, German, Russian, British, uh, uh, Japanese. You know, all of these different cultures contributed to what film is now. So to say that Moonlight is you know, it has these foreign sensibilities. It's just like, yeah, but how f- it, it's almost like saying, you know, uh, you know, who, who owns, uh, who owns the Maltese Falcon? Uh-huh. You know, it really is just, it goes from person to person. And if you trace it all the oh, way I back, see. it's like, well, I guess officially it be- belongs to the King of Spain. If you want to go all the way back. Um, but you well, have why does to, it belong to the King of Spain <laughs> because of the, Knights of Malta uh, made this golden falcon and uh, encrusted it with jewels anyway. um, So in this case, the Lumiere brothers are the King of Spain in the the film. Yeah, Lumiere brothers and probably uh, W.K.L. Dixon working for Thomas Edison. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, someone (coughs) Thomas Edison stole from. So if you said that, you know, you could say, uh, so I guess in a way, yes, uh, Moonlight is foreign influenced because he owes everything to the Lumiere brothers. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, t- I totally get what you're saying. And I think it, I think there's a, a certain hoity toity element of like, Oh, this is like a, an American foreign film. It's like, Hey, we make oh, good movies here. It's like well. when those snobs up in San Francisco are like, we're really more of a European city. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, San Francisco. You can, you can say that all get day over long. yourselves. <laughs> oh, so you're trying to get the feud going, going that way. I will take, any chance I can get to get under the skin of San Franciscans. I don't know if you're actually getting under anybody's skin. Oh, listeners, I think, uh, do we have any I listeners in San they're Francisco? They're listening up in Frisco. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll, I guarantee it. Absolutely. Up in Frisco, they love battleship pretension. That's a thing I know. You know, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people up in Frisco talking about rice. Sure. And yeah. uh, the Golden Gate Bridge and Full House. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Full House, trolleys. Trolleys. Oh, they talk about trolleys all day long. Alcatraz. <laughs> exactly, which is uh, uh, still an, uh, an operating prison. Um, so, okay, uh, I think that covers it, and we can now pivot into. Oh, real quick, wanted to talk about some of the stuff on the website. Oh right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Um, so, what do you got? Usually, I do this because you do more of the ads. But uh, oh, right, okay. Uh, I wasn't entirely prepared this time. <laughs> so, our end of the year coverage is now done. But you can find the Battleship Pretension Top 10. You can find the BPs. You can find um, our individual top, uh, Tops 10 and stuff like that. You can find all of that uh, at BattleshipPretension.com. I'm always very happy with our end-of-the-year coverage. Yeah. Uh, so uh, check that out. And do check out the BPs because they're a lot of work. Yeah. Um, well, what else What else we got here um, that, 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 that happened? I reviewed Logan. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Working backwards. Um, you've got, um, reviews of, of Logan, uh, from Tyler. Uh, you've got a review of, uh, Donald cried from Andrew who didn't love the movie. I did love <laughs> Donald cried. So, you know, just, uh, you get a panoply of voices over at battleship retention. Sure. Um, Alex wrote about killer of sheep for the criterion, uh, uh, prediction column. Oh, Jim, over at I do movies badly mm-hmm. is kicking off a new month. Yeah. For those who don't know the premise of Jim's podcast is that he does four episodes a month. The first episode has a guest who has an interest in a certain filmmaker or genre or what mm-hmm. have you, um, who, uh, talks to Jim about it for an hour or an hour and a half. in in this, in my case, and then Jim and is then assigns three movies and Jim spends the rest of the month, uh, watching a movie a week and talking about them. I was his guest this week, uh, cause I'm going to make Jim watch, uh, a month's worth of Kim Ki Duck movies, and then I'll listen to the final episode and find out if we're still friends anymore. <laughs> yeah, there is an element uh, to being it because I've been on a show a few times at this point, and there is an element of how far can I push this guy? <laughs> um, because I, I have a sense of what his sensibilities are, and I know what uh, you know. I'm not going to go on and talk about Bellatar, um, <clears throat> right. but it's what I like is the notion that uh, you know when I went on and talked about Christian film, I broke him uh, by the end of that month and I decimated his numbers <laughs> and, and he's been struggling to get the, and, and the, the numbers have gone up since then, oh, but I'm pretty sure that this month of yours is going to decimate them once again. Oh, so, I hope not. I hope he, I hope I recruit an entire army of Kim Ki-duck fans, which is something I've been trying to do for 15 years and well, people don't generally it's uh, like i mean there are a small band of passionate kim ki duck what films, films do you wind up recommending uh i did the isle okay i did of course spring summer fall winter and spring which right. is uh, that's the one you have to go to and then i did see i think if you were to go by like rotten tomatoes scores it would have made sense for me to do three iron but I chose Pieta from 2012 mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, because the Isles 2000 spring summer for winter spring is 2003. I didn't want to just go to 2004 for three. Right. I wanted to do something more recent <laughs> to show he's still making good movies. Uh, Pieta won the, um, whatever the top prize is at Venice in, right. in 2012, which is the first Korean film to win that, that, that award ever. Um, but then also I picked Pieta specifically because it might not be the best. This is the little like uh, clever line I came up with on, on Jim's show. It might not be the best Kim Ki-duck film, but Pieta might be the most Kim Ki-duck yeah, film. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to end, end with that one. Uh, so uh, yeah, check out I do movies badly all month. Also we've got uh, Sarah is working her way. Uh, she's spending 2017 working her way through the, uh, Battleship Retention listener voted top 100 list. She's in the 80s now, and she wrote about Verkmeister Harmonies, a movie that, much like I loved Donald Cried and Andrew didn't, she did not respond to the Verkmeister Harmonies as much as, as you did. I don't know, you, it's one of your it's favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, I'm always also a big fan too. Uh, winner playlists. They're na- they're up now. <laughs> now we'll, you we'll, have to. Yeah, this is like <laughs> now we're like Bill and Ted again. You have to yeah. finish yours. So my my uh, this is a thing we started last August as a way to troll the president, president Obama, because he thought it was dumb that he did a playlist. And now we just do seasonal playlists and I love it to deafening silence. Yeah, no one cares. It is astonishing. <laughs> no one cares. We're going like, to keep at it yeah, until people are begging exactly. for them every three months. Uh, so my winter playlist is up and Tyler's I'm assuming is up by the time you're hearing this. Yes. Uh, you can see our personal top tens, which you listened to two weeks ago. 
um, as well as the BP top 10 and the BP bottom 10, uh, which is always a, a lot of fun. Indeed. So that's uh, what's going on at battleship retention.com. David, this actor from Donald cried that I'm looking at right now. That is also the director. Of the it is also the director. Okay. Not to mention the genetic splicing of Charlotte Copley and David Schwimmer. Like, <laughs> I mean, right. It's, I, yeah. I see. I mean, he's like, cause I saw it at AFI fest and he doesn't really look like that. Okay. In person. That's I'm like, sure. that's a wig. I'm sure. Uh, and then the facial hair is something I think he did for the, yeah. if it's not a wig, it's a haircut he did just for the role. He doesn't, he doesn't maybe did himself based on this. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in the movie. I've, I I think I would probably like it quite a bit. I think so too. So that's, what's going on. Let's get into it. Shall we? Indeed. Now, you know, this is a 10 year anniversary episode. Um, but as we said, we're not doing anything special for the 10 year anniversary. We're doing what we would normally do for an episode, like with a number like five twenty, because it's, uh, Divisible by 50. No. Yes. Divisible by 50. Is that how we do this? No, it's divisible by 10. It's divisible by 10, but it's not divisible by 50. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, that means it's a profile episode. And we had, you know, we, um, you know, Tyler and I and, and Scott and a lot of the other people uh, work ourselves to the bone um, in the uh, months between the end of the year and the Oscars uh, with so much stuff for the website. Uh, so we, we had planned uh, to do, we won't say who, because we're going to put it in the back burner, but someone that was easy for us to do that we were both familiar with uh, this person's filmography. Um, and then something awful happened uh, this this week. Yeah. Um, very unexpectedly due to apparently complications from surgery. Um the great actor Bill Paxton passed away and we thought, how can we not take our, take this chance to do a profile episode of Bill Paxton? Yeah, it really, um, it really, uh, got to me. Um, only 61, only 61. And I will say, uh, this, I did not know Bill Paxton. I did not meet him. I had the opportunity to meet him because, uh, last year at Comic-Con, I was walking down the street. He was walking, uh, alone down the street. Uh, it wasn't like empty, but he was just walking along. And I thought like, you know what? He's such an, uh, an awesome guy. I've heard that I could probably go up and say, Hey, I'm a big fan of your work. And I bet he'd be a super nice guy about it. And I thought like, ah, I'll, I'll just leave him alone. And now, and you know, in retrospect, I wish that I had said something uh, to him. Um, but yeah, he really, I'm not sure if I'd say he's an underrated actor. I think people rate him uh, fairly highly, but I think he's, he's somewhere he is sometimes a lead. He's often supporting. Uh, he's not, he's not that guy. People do, he, you know, people do know his name. Yeah. But I will say he might be underrated in terms of range. I think sure. people have, uh, I think when people think of Bill Paxton, they think of a certain handful of, of roles that he was yeah. terrific at. Um, but they don't think of certain other things that will, that we'll get to. Yeah. Um, now, do you want, do we want to just go back from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. So, because one thing that's worth noting about old Bill Paxton is that now, as we know, he did direct things from time to time. Uh-huh. He directed in 1980. Yeah. The video to the song fish heads. Yeah. The, which I know of as a Dr. Dementor. Exactly. Song. Exactly. Yeah. Roly poly fish heads. Now, yeah. 
on Comedy Central, there I saw that video oh. many times. Uh, sorry, at the time it was called the Ha Network. So like I saw right. that video a long time ago, and little did I know at the time that I was that that Hudson because I knew who Hudson was from Aliens at that point. Right. Little did I know, know that I was watching a directorial effort by Hudson. Um, but yeah. yeah, crazy. Yeah, those fish heads. They're not good dancers. They don't play drums. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I took a fish head out to see a movie. Didn't have to pay to get it in. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, but let's, should we start? I, I don't really need to mention stripes. Do I like, no, I mean, like there is soldier. Like, I yeah, don't. there are things that I've, se- that I've seen that he is in, but I don't, there are smaller roles. I don't remember him in it. Probably the first one for me that I, where he is prominent, very prominent, yeah. ost- ostentatiously prominent, is the Terminator. Yes, where he's got uh, blue hair that's all spiky and crazy, right? Uh, yeah, uh, and what does he say? Uh, he says "fuck you, asshole." Yeah, right. And then the Terminator says "fuck you, asshole." Yeah, right? and then I believe rips his heart out or something yes. like that. Uh, yeah, which I I also remember <laughs> that that clip was used at the beginning of a song by The Exploited, which is a band that I love, which. Okay, sorry. I were like sorry to move back into tragic things. Did you hear what happened at that exploited concert in Russia? Um, like uh, some like neo Nazis showed up and started being neo Nazi-ish outside of the venue, mm-hmm. and one of the exploited fans, you know, start you know tried to get them to leave yeah. uh, and started some shit with them, and they stabbed him to death. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, so yeah, pour one out for that punk rock hero. Yeah, um, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, back to the Terminator. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there's not much to say about this character. He is supposed to be, he's in one scene and everything about him is supposed to be like the, the, the essence of a 1980s punk. Yeah. Uh, not, not the kind of punk that enjoys (laughs) punk music though. He, the character probably does. Um, just like, it, it's it's a character that would that I feel like would not be out of place in falling down where everybody is just or Seinfeld where everybody is just going out of their way <laughs> to antagonize you right um, and and I think he does a good job with that but it's worth of course notable because it was the beginning of uh, a lifelong uh, collaboration with James Cameron yeah absolutely he's, he's one of James Cameron's go-to guys yeah. Uh, now, next up for me is is the following year, which is Weird Science. Uh, yeah, of course, Weird okay. Science. Um, which, uh, I mean, I think that that very small role in the Terminator is funny. Yes, but a Weird Science is confirmation that Bill Paxton, yeah, was funny. You yeah. know, um, uh, and uh, my favorite, one of my favorite Bill Paxton stories ever. You mentioned Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, now, were you at the Edge of Tomorrow Comic-Con panel? I was. And it, he was like the only one that, up there, right? No, that's the WonderCon one. That's the WonderCon. Okay, yeah, yeah. The Edge of Tomorrow, or the Comic-Con Edge of Tomorrow panel, Bill Paxton uh, wasn't actually, I think, initially on the panel. He was like in the audience. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise, who was, for you know, for however you feel about Tom Cruise, he's a natural entertainer yeah. and is delightful to see at a Comic-Con panel. He... Uh, that Edge of Tomorrow panel is one of my favorite Comic-Con panels I've been to in the 11 Comic-Cons I've been to, um, or Comic-Con. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but Tom Cruise, knowing the audience, pull, got Bill Paxton to come up on stage and then just made him do 
lines from weird science and aliens yeah which is not something that i don't think you or i could get away with like if we had bill paxton on the guest uh, as a guest on the show yeah i don't think we could be like come on come on say game over or whatever but, you but know if you're what? tom cruise you can do it but honestly you know at the WonderCon edge of tomorrow panel when it was just bill paxton up there yeah and P- it, you know during q a he didn't get any questions about edge of tomorrow he got questions about aliens sure uh and other such things. And, and he was a good sport about it. That's the thing. You know, you, uh, you hear stories that he's like, that he was the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. And if you watch interviews with him, uh, you know, interviews about aliens and stuff, he just seemed so grateful to be where he was right. and just so, and so humble, like no matter how, you know, he, he would in the mid nine, mid to late nineties, he was the lead of several films. Um, and people got to know who he was, but I think he just, uh, never stopped being excited to just be working. Um, and so I think he did not resent the fact that people, you know, he made jokes about like, you know, uh, people never, people never asked me about this performance over here that I loved. Right. But, I think he's okay with that. I think he recognizes that like, who am I to get angry for somebody who loved my work in aliens? That's ridiculous. You know, they love what I did. Um, and so, so yeah. Uh, so yes, Tom Cruise could pull him up on stage and do that. But honestly, I feel like if you and I, I don't think we would cajole him like that, but if we, if we asked him about aliens, I think he'd answer our questions all day long. Well, let's talk about aliens then. Yeah. Which is again, it's, it's interesting to look, uh, you know, you and I are of an age where uh, we're old enough that we like, we never knew when Bill Paxton wasn't famous. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to look back because you and I now know, uh, I talked about him being underrated in terms of range, you know, his range, but here we have, uh, if, you know, if it were 1986 and aliens came out, you'd be like, yeah, that's the Bill Paxton role because he's the sort of, uh, brash comic relief yes you know yeah uh, uh that's essentially what hudson is no um even though i think uh it's to his credit and to james cameron's credit uh you still feel you still feel bad for him uh yeah you know when things go wrong yeah he is annoying at times but as i as i said when we were on the alien minute uh sometimes like the the most frightened person they are frightened because they fully understand the danger and hudson understands the danger and but just as lambert did in uh the first alien and so the character his panic is understandable uh but he's also a guy who was willing to do whatever work he had to do um Mm -hmm. and his eventual death is a is I think a sad one, um, you know, uh, an alien comes up from like underneath him and like pulls him under the floor and it's, it's a, a sad moment. And the character, as is the case with basically any character that James Cameron writes, he is, he's an archetype. Right. And sometimes as in, in my opinion, as an avatar, the cast doesn't really do anything beyond that archetype. But I think he actually does take this character who is brash, but then panicky. And I think he finds a way to connect all of these things and make him into a guy who is, who is genuinely scared, but, 
uh, is trying to keep things together uh, after a certain point. And I think it's, I think it's a really, you know, I mean, obviously he's got, you know, game over man and all that kind of thing, but, but there are a lot of nice, like smaller moments as well that I think Bill Paxson plays wonderfully and makes there's, there's the quotable lines, but I think there are other reasons why people latch on to Hudson as well. Um, now after this, we've got a few n- notable roles that I've regretfully never seen. Okay. Uh, cause I've never seen near dark. I know Nor I have should. I, I've heard it's great. I'm a big Catherine Bigelow fan. You think yeah. I'd have seen it. I've seen, I guess all of her other movies except for this one. Yeah. Um, uh, and I've never seen, um, well, the stupid thing just jumped. Uh, I've never really seen Predator 2, or I saw it at such a young age that I don't really remember it. Uh, I do. And um, but it's worth noting that uh, Bill Paxton uh, played characters who were killed by a Terminator, an alien, and a Predator. That's, that's right, yeah. Um, and I think, well, I, I think for a while, he, for a long time, he held the distinction of being the only person. But I think because of the alien versus predator thing, uh, Lance Hendrickson um, oh, yeah. has been killed, uh, I think. Uh, I, you are correct, although it's arguable whether Bishop could ever actually right. die. Right. Um, yeah, I did see Predator 2. And his character, like so many other things in Predator 2, uh, the character is ridiculous and uh, broad. Um and the character is just like this coin flipping. Like I don't think I don't think he's actually chewing gum, but he seems like he should be. Uh, this very sleazy kind of cop who's not necessarily corrupt. He's just very egotistical and all of that. Um, and he, <coughs> but he does die nobly uh, against the the predator. I wish I could say that there's more to it, except that he's there's a certain degree of range there as well. Because while uh, Paxton could play characters with confidence. Um, they they didn't often seem like egotists, whereas mm-hmm. the that character in Predator Two is that, and I think he does a good job with it. Uh, and then I've also never seen Navy Seals, nor have I. But, uh, putting us out of step with our generation, I would say, would Ma- you say? men of our generation. Um, but what I know about it is that because um, we we mentioned that he directed the Fishheads thing, and he would mm-hmm. go on to make a couple of features. Yeah. Um, but he did like some second unit directing, I think uncredited. Oh, wow. On Navy SEALs. Um, uh, he, he talked about that as being like um, sort of uh, uh, formative for him in, in going on to become a feature film director. Interesting. That, that uh, whoever the director was of Navy SEALs, um, Louis Teague, I guess, let him, let him handle some of the... I think it's like some of the just like group fucking around like yeah. uh, scenes... Um, anyway, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. Uh, what is next on for you? Are we on to the, the big one? My favorite one? Uh, it is also my favorite, but no, uh, I mean we are, but I will mention that I've heard such wonderful things about everything regarding the dark, uh, the dark backward. Um, oh, right. I've heard it's just such a strange, strange film. Uh, and I've heard that his performance in it is also, uh, delightful, but, uh, but I've never seen it and it is a, uh, a great regret of mine. Well, you still have the chance. Nope. <laughs> it's over. Uh, so yeah, let's jump to 1992. Carl's Carl Franklin's one false move, which is definitely, that is the performance that I would, that I would ask him about if I, if I had talked to him. Yeah. Um, because it's, uh, I think in a way it, in a, obviously in a big way it showed 
his his range and his depth in a way mm-hmm. that maybe we hadn't seen before, but also almost in a way kind of like Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, it took the basis of what could have been like on the surface. If you met this guy for five minutes, yeah, it's like this is a typical Bill Paxton type character, and the fact yeah. that he's a loudmouth, um, he's kind of. Uh, he's kind of a joke. People don't take him as seriously. You know, uh, he's a, he's a goofball, um, but not in a lovable way necessarily. Right. Um, he's someone who's, I guess, easily dismissed. Uh, and the whole point, not the whole point. There's a lot, there's a ton of stuff going on in one false move. It's, it's a, one of the great, greatest movies of the nineties, I would say. Um, but the whole point of the, I guess this character is getting to know him and realizing the, sadness and the drive uh that lurks under that uh sort of off-putting obnoxious uh persona or facade yeah he's a uh is he the is he a sheriff or is he just high up in the in the police department I think of he's this the small sheriff town of that small town yeah. i want to say um, it's been a while and the character's nickname is hurricane because he just comes in with energy and he just like takes over a room he definitely has charisma um and people seem to like him but there's a not an obnoxious quality to him as well um and he they also like him in the way like i'm saying that they kind of dismiss him yes undoubtedly yeah um He's, uh, in a way it's just like, Oh, he's delightful and harmless. That's exactly what I would say. Um, and, but he so badly wants to prove himself to these out of town detectives. Mm -hmm. Um, cause the premise, if you don't know the movie, there's the, uh, there's a robberies in, uh, a robbery in LA and they, um, the, 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 the thieves or whatever come to this small, um, I can't remember what, what state it I is. I think Arkansas. Arkansas town to hide out. And so some, uh, I guess, LAPD detectives or maybe it's FBI or something. Yeah, I assume uh, it would be FBI, but right. I, I don't recall actually. Right, because it's a bank robbery. It makes yeah. sense. FBI. Uh, some FBI guys, yeah. uh, to use diehard's term, <laughs> yeah. uh, come to this small town and he's, uh, I guess, assisting in his view, but they're just thinking of him yeah. as being sort of in the way, but harmless. Yeah. And he, and he, he's helpful. in so far as like, he can kind of help give them like the lay of the town and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but they make fun of him and he eventually finds out that they're making fun of him. But, and, and there's a really nice moment when he overhears them saying something about him and you see the sadness and you see the frustration that he feels, but you also, but you see him put on his, the hurricane character, you see him put it back on when it comes time to go talk to them again. Um, but then what I like about the film in general is that, um, then they take hurricane and give him so much more backstory. And he's involved with this story in a way that is much more complex than, (laughs) excuse me, than you would have thought. And, and Bill Paxton plays that, beautifully um you know he it turns out that i won't go into a lot of but he has a history uh with one of these with one one of these thieves and you know so he talks with this person and they and they i'm not going to say reminisce but they definitely address their past together and that sort of thing and and you just see so much more about hurricane at this point and i think at that point he uh, 
it's almost as though he's elevated into the lead. Uh, we all simply by virtue of learning more about him. It's, right, it's yeah. as though he, he goes from a goofy supporting comic relief to the full on lead, a deeply flawed character who, you know, it turns out the film, uh, it winds up being something of a, of a redemption story, um, or at least an, uh, an attempt, uh, to redeem himself. And so there's, it's a wonderful film all around. It's written by Billy Bob Thornton. Um, and, and it is, yeah, I'd say by far, by a wide margin, my favorite of his performances. Yeah. Um, and so, and a lot of it is just because there's so much to that character, but he lives up to everything that character needs to be. All right. What is next for you? Next is Tombstone, uh, in which, you know, he, he often operated and we'll talk about this, you know, with, <laughs> with other films like, you know, Apollo 13 and stuff. Uh, and I guess with aliens, uh, he often worked well in an ensemble. Um, and while Tombstone is primarily about, you know, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, uh, I'm looking at the cover and you've got these four guys and each of them brings something different to the table. And, uh, and he does it. He's, he does a good job of not honestly, not stealing focus from the leads, but not, fading away into the background completely. Um, you know, aliens definitely gave him a lot of stuff to work with. Uh, but I don't mean to jump ahead, but in talking about Apollo 13, yes, there are only three astronauts up on that, up in the, uh, right. Space spaceship. That doesn't sound right. Shuttle shuttle. Um, but there's a lot of characters in the film and he's not playing a Hudson type character, but he still emerges. And I feel like that's how it is with uh, tombstone as well. You get a good sense of who this guy is, um, in the midst of honestly, more charismatic characters, not more charismatic actors, but more charismatic characters. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a couple in a row here that I haven't seen in so long and they're small roles. Right. Um, and also they're not necessarily, movies that I think are great. <laughs> we right. got Mike Binder's Indian summer, uh, which is another ensemble yeah. piece for him. And then you've got, uh, Jennifer Lynch's, um, uh, boxing, boxing, Helena, Helena as well. Uh, yeah. Or Helena, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually know. Um, which I never saw. I did see Indian summer when I was younger and you know, what's interesting as I was thinking of hurricane, uh, from one false move, I got this image in my head that now that I'm thinking of Indian summer, I think it's confirmed. There's a quality to Bill Paxton. And if you actually look at a lot of his, uh, a lot of his roles, you can kind of picture this guy in high school that he was probably pretty popular. Right. And he's, and, and he probably has had a certain degree of charisma. He probably wore his letter jacket and was a football hero or whatever. And now he's gotten older. And so he retains some of that charisma and maybe some of even that mystique a little bit. Um, and so, uh, that's, I I don't know. I can, I don't know what uh, Bill Paxton was like when he was younger, but, uh, I don't know that he is an actor that just, I guess was, sorry. He was an actor that, um, yeah that conveyed a lot of history. I know that sounds strange because, you know, at this point he's still a fairly young guy, but there's a quality to his voice. There is a quality to his face and how he carried himself that I can imagine 
what life, what he used to be and the life that he used to live and the things that he's carrying with him. And Indian Summer, again, I don't remember it remarkably well, but I do remember his character in it. Okay. Um, and he was uh, sort of he was kind of not the bad boy of the group, but he, if there was one, it was him. Um, he was kind of the cool guy. And, and this is all about, you know, friends that have known each other for a long time. Yeah, I was going to say those qualities you were talking about are perfect yeah. for Indian summer, which is about yeah. people who are reconnecting after 20 years or yeah. whatever it is. And then I never saw a boxing Helena. Yeah, but he's the, uh, if I, if I recall, he's, uh, the story is that Julian Sands character, like kidnaps Shill and Finn's character. Yeah. And, Boxes are up. Boxes are up. <laughs> and I guess, uh, and Bill Paxton is the guy she's seeing before mm-hmm. Julian Sands takes her, I guess. Yeah. That's it. All right. Uh, moving on. Moving on to True Lies, where he has to go back to being completely ridiculous and comedic again. Uh, which is, which he's glad to do, I guess for James Cameron, I guess so. And I've never actually seen true lies. Okay. It's a, it's a fine movie. It's, it's fun. I need to see. No. Okay. Uh, it's fun action and stuff like that. And he, what's odd is that his character is a used car salesman who starts, uh, who starts flirting with, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And he starts flirting with her by like lying about himself, saying that he is in fact, like a, a secret agent and that he's undercover as this used car salesman, just like building himself up. The character is, is reminiscent in, in his, uh, sleazy swagger, um, uh, to his character in predator too. And it's a ridiculous character. And then he's eventually confronted by, uh, by Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and it's a scene that actually it's in some ways it's, it's very stupid, but in other ways, the fact that Schwarzenegger's character, he doesn't confront him as if to say, leave my wife alone. He confronts him as if, you know, I know you're a spy and like he confronts him and, and takes the, the lies that he's saying seriously and making Bill Paxson say like, Hey, no, 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 that's uh, I'm not that I'm not that. And then he just like, he like, he pisses himself and he's like, look, see if I were, would I, if I were a spy, would I piss myself? <laughs> and it's actually kind of funny, but there was a nice moment where, um, <clears throat> cause at some point, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes into the, uh, the auto dealership, uh, to kind of scope out this guy. And, uh, Bill Paxson like shows him this, uh, this vet. And so later on when, during this, this confrontation, there comes a moment when like Bill Paxson's character, he goes, wait, you, he's like, Hey, you still interested in that vet? And it's, it's actually, and he manages to play that beat a hundred percent. And it's, it's a ridiculous character in a ridiculous movie, but it is funny, uh, because of, because of him and his commitment to ridiculousness. Uh, well, let's move. You already mentioned Apollo 13. Yeah. But we should get back to it. Like, I'm not sure not having been really, you know, uh, super up on the trades or whatnot in 1992. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how one false move did. I'm not sure how big a movie it was. Uh, critics liked it. Siskel and Ebert loved it. I don't think it did great financially. So then is Apollo 13 like then in a way, maybe his first mainstream, like respectable role, you know, I mean aliens, uh, but that's what I'm saying is uh, like, I'm not saying a mainstream movie. I'm saying playing a character because he's going to go on to be a leading man. Right. Uh, in the next thing we talk about probably, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, is this, is Apollo 13, you know, maybe Siskel and Ebert and everybody else, uh, 
came to know his depth in one false move is Apollo 13, where the mainstream America or mainstream audiences saw him as a more serious actor. Uh, Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And I would say probably just uh, either that or Tombstone. Tombstone was a big hit, but he was not. He's not a huge part. Not a huge part. Whereas in Apollo 13. Yeah, I would say that that that's probably it from there on. Um, and probably just had a, an agent who was able to parlay this into, into larger things. Um, and yeah, and it is a very straightforward role and he just seems like, a, you know, it's, it's actually something of a thankless role, I think, because, mm-hmm. you know, you have Tom Hanks, who's the lead. And then in the shuttle, you have Kevin Bacon who plays this guy who, who's a bit arrogant, a bit cocky and has to learn not to be that. Then you've got, you know, Gary Sinise on the ground and you've got Ed Harris. Um, both of those characters are allowed these moments of strength. And then you have, um, you have Bill Paxton's character who gets sick and he's still, he's still trying to do his job, but there's an element of, Oh, he's sick. And I didn't know the story. And my natural assumption is like, Oh, he's, I think he's going to die. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of all he can really, so he has to play all of these emotions. You know, you're, you're a little sick right now. Uh-huh. I'm getting <laughs> over it. All of my emotions are at about, it's weird. Like on one level, I'm more emotional, but I'm only, I can only show it about 40%. Uh, and so he has to be sick. And I just, I picture him in the movie just floating around and just like looking haggard and tired and sad and there's just not to imply that he doesn't do anything with it but it's just it's challenging uh to play that role it gives us something else that we talked about a little bit in in terms of his uh his ability his ability and his willingness to submit himself to the larger yeah uh project whatever because yes he has to play this thankless role it's not only thankless because he's physically limited by being sick, but in a way his role is just another plot point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is like, uh, another thing, you know, first there's the, what is it? The, the, the water thing that they have to figure out how to, is it water? Yeah. Or is it the air where they had dump out all the pieces and oh, the, air, air, air filter, oh, air filter. Yeah. They had to figure out how to fix. And now, Oh, he's sick. That's the next thing yeah. on the list of, of plot points that they have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, that's what makes him such a great, um, character actor and such a great ensemble actor. Yeah, I think that's that. that yeah, that is great. Um, and and then he became a lead. Right. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Hang on. Oh, are you- there's a film called The Last Supper, where he's in it only like one or two scenes. The story of it. Um, by the way, this film was uh, written by Jonathan, uh, co-written by Jonathan Penner, who also stars uh, or is one of the actors uh, in it. Uh, he wrote; he's been on Survivor many times, and he wrote the Bye Bye Man. And this is directed by the same director as the Bye Bye Man. Yeah, his wife. Yeah, um, I didn't realize you'd seen The Last Supper. Yeah, uh, many years ago. Okay, uh, but. In one of the uh, so there's a, a podcast that I listen to, the Andrew Claven show. He's a conservative commentator, but he's also a novelist, and he was actually a guest on more than one lesson uh, back in October. And um, and he was talking about his favorite Bill Paxton roles, and he played a clip from The Last Supper because the whole the the nature of the story is uh, it's these five like college age liberals who decide that the world would be better if these various conservatives that they know were dead. And so they invite them to dinner and then they poison them. And it, 
and the one that kicks it off is Bill Paxton's character, who is this um, just this very militant. He's a military guy, and uh, I don't remember if he's he's not like super racist or anything, but he's just very very dismissive of, of liberals and all that. And so he's sitting there and, and in listening, and I was just listening to this audio clip that Andrew Clavin was playing. And you know, this movie is a, it's a comedy and it's a dark mm-hmm. comedy. It's a satire. And so his, so every, every like conservative character that shows up is meant to be, is meant to represent a larger, there's a Rush Limbaugh type, there's mm-hmm. a Jerry Falwell type. Um, and he is supposed to be like the diehard militant hawk. And to hear him talk to them, and he again, he is the character is a representative, but he imbues him with a reality, and he's just saying something like, "And I wish I could." Uh, I, I, obviously, I, Bill Paxton had a really great voice and a really great cadence, but he just said, "He's like, yeah, you liberals, like you just protest, you don't actually do anything, you've never been to war." but you have opinions about it. And he said, you have no idea what it is to fight for something you believe in. And he ultimately says, he says, you know, dying for something you believe in, that's easy. He goes, do you believe in anything that you'd be willing to kill for? Now, here's the thing. Here's why this is important. A, he actually humanizes that character a tremendous Mm -hmm. amount. And B, he needs to hit that note so hard that they, that they are able, it needs to be so resonant uh-huh. with him, with them and us that they, that they kill him right. and then kill everybody else. Like <laughs> this thing that he is saying becomes their, their, their guiding philosophy. And so he needs to hit that hard. He's declaring, he is motivating them. And, uh, it's a really, it just, it was interesting listening to it. And I haven't seen the movie in many, many years. I don't think I I think high school is when I saw it, but I had a pretty good memory for it. Um, Ron Perlman's in it. Charles Durning is in it. It's really, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but he needs to kick everything off and still be a, uh, a recognizably human character while also representing this other thing. It's a really difficult role to play. And I think he does marvelous with it. Uh, but yes, yes. Now we can move on. Uh, to his leading man role in Twister. That's right. Which, uh, which is uh, not a movie that has held up well, I don't think. I It's arguable how well how well held up at the time. That's true, yeah. I saw it when I was in eighth grade, so yeah. I was the right age for it. I thought it was cool at the time. But yeah, it probably was never, <laughs> probably was never good. I've been on the, the Twister. It's not a ride. The Twister Experience yeah. at uh, Universal Studios Orlando, right? Mm-hmm. And then Bill Paxton is, is a part of that. And he says like, you just survived Twister or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I remember the intro is like him and Helen Hunt on like different, different screens mm-hmm. and they're taking turns talking and they're supposed to be looking in the direction of each other when the other one is talking. Yeah. But the eye lines like oh, they're yeah. not quite perfect. He's just checking uh, out her breasts the whole time. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Matt Singer actually recently, I didn't, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to read it, but he we posted, keep, we keep talking about this guy. I know I, I listeners, you should just go check him out. Stop, look, you gave us 10 years. We haven't really done anything with it. <laughs> um, except con some people out of some money. Uh, it's not a con check out that, uh, Kickstarter and oh, definitely check out movies. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> but Matt Singer actually mentioned, uh, that, Bill Paxton's performance in Twister is the best 
I don't give a fuck performance in film history. <laughs> not that, not I don't give a fuck in the sense that he's phoning it in. Right. But just like, all right, let's do it. I don't care. This movie's ridiculous. I will go wherever you need me to go. Yeah. And that and, fits with what I was saying about him. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, he has the, I'd rather, I'd say the rather, uh, unenviable position of having to to anchor a ridiculous film um and also find he and helen hunt have to like reveal real emotion for each other in the midst of all that and so it's very difficult but i but you know it's here's the thing i'll say he's fine in it i don't mean to say he's that he is merely fine just that there's not a lot that he can do with the character but I will, you know what, I'm going to keep, as tends to happen in these profiles, you know, we, we tend to return to yes. things over and over again. That's part of the fun of doing them is finding out uh, yeah. how we feel. <laughs> and I will return to this idea of Bill Paxton's voice and just the weight that he is able to give things. And so it's, it's not a raspy voice. It's a voice with just character. It feels so lived in. Um, and so like, there's a, so anytime he's talking about Helen Hunt's characters, you know, her family dying in a tornado or whatever it is, like there's just a real, mo- it's ridiculous. Of course, stupid movie. so stupid. <laughs> uh, but he has such a mournful tone. So like, and it will definitely come into play in a couple of movies, but, um, But again, you just, he is able with a look or with just his body or with just the way he delivers lines, he's able to just reveal an entire history uh, for his character and for relationships, even in a movie as awful as Twister, um, which now I absolutely want to watch. There's no question (laughs) about it. I think I actually own it because I think Jen likes it. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, and, and we'll definitely, and I'll definitely talk more about that uh, in in a couple of movies. Uh, we should do. It'll be mean if we do. We should do an episode someday on directors who were one hit wonders, because Yann Debont made Speed, Damn one right of my all time favorite action movies. Yeah, and then he made Twister and Speed Two and The Haunting remake. No, that's that's Cruise Control, right? Uh, yes, that's okay. Cruise Control. He did The Haunting yeah. remake. Which is very bad. I think the last thing he did was the Laura the Laura Croft sequel, which okay. I never even saw. Simon West did the first one, okay. and it was bad. And I never saw the second one. Well, like, our, I would say he's not a. For us, he's a one hit wonder because we like Speed and nothing else. Yeah, but Twister was a big hit. I, one hit wonder for us. That's okay, is what I'm enough. saying in terms of. Uh, yeah, yeah. We should do an episode on one hit wonder directors. One hit wonders for us. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I'm all for it. All right. Uh, moving on to speaking of thankless roles, boy, uh, Titanic. He's the guy you always forget is in the movie. Yeah. Because I always forget guy, about the, the bookend. Of yeah. That movie. A guy I wish wasn't in the movie, not because of him, but because I wish that bookend didn't exist. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary at all. Um, well, I don't know the, the part where <laughs> the old lady throws the diamond yeah. in the ocean at the end led to one of the funniest riffs in the history of Doug Benson's podcast on oh, those yeah. movies with, uh, I want to say it was Bob Odenkirk. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I think it was him and, and Chris Hardwick. Okay. Uh, were both and they were riffing it. about the idea that she would only do that if she were senile. And that the entire movie is actually about a senile old woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but yeah, he's what he's the, 
He's not even the exposition. I guess he's part of the exposition. He's part of the exposition. He's the guy that allows he the exposition. <laughs> yes, he's the exposition facilitator. Yeah. Man, talk about, he's clearly, you know, willing to just, I, I have no doubt that he feels that he felt uh, a certain um, debt to James Cameron because aliens is what really solidified him in the minds of anybody. Um, and I think he, you know, I'm sure he enjoyed himself as well. But at the same time, like the, as an actor, you can't you're not getting anything out of that part. Right. But I do think and maybe it's because I think he probably took uh, I wonder to what extent he's playing James Cameron. Sure. Because James Cameron is really a geek about this stuff, about like yeah. stuff at the bottom of the ocean. And I think that that actually comes, tr- comes through in, uh, Brock Lovett. Uh, <laughs> that's the character's name. Brock Lovett. Um, uh, I think you actually do get that. The he fucking ha- venture brothers. <laughs> uh, I do feel that he has a sense of awe for what he's sure. What he's doing as a put like, especially when, um, is it, is Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, you think of Twister. But who's who's the the brash guy? The yeah, guy yeah. who's kind of like Harry Knowles. I don't remember. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in Twister. Oh God, <laughs> uh, we're storm chasers. It's what we do. <laughs> I don't right? know if that's actually a line or is or if it's Jimmy Pardo talking about his favorite line. I don't, I don't line care from at this film. point. It's it's yeah. played against Sam as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, it, and you know what? Yeah, okay, com- compared to that character, you see a lot of respect and awe. And I think maybe uh, I don't uh, whether or not Bill Paxton is intentionally playing James Cameron. I certainly think James Cameron is writing Brock Lovett, uh, to be him, his own stand in. So, you know what? Let's okay. Let's look at it this way. So yes, he is the facilitator. He facilitates exposition, but he also has to set the tone, like the tone of awe. Oh, right. Okay. And he needs to, he's sort of, He's informing us, not merely giving us information, but he's informing how we should react to this. Um, it is a thankless role, but I think he, he does fine with it. It not it, He doesn't do quite as well as the character not existing, uh, but then no actor could, because uh, that character and that wraparound just does not need to be there. Um, <laughs> All right. No, I never saw Mighty Joe Young. I'm assuming you did. I didn't, but I oh. saw Traveler. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, which admittedly I saw it with my dad many years ago and I remember liking it quite a bit. And this definitely, honestly, uh, uh, good cast actually now that I'm looking at it. Um, but, uh, this definitely, uh, needs, it, it exploits Bill, Bill Paxton's, uh, this thing that I keep coming back to, which is just, you know, uh, his entire life history on his face because mm-hmm. this is a guy who's a gypsy, uh, you know, quite literally like he goes from town to town and like, uh, in some, yeah. in some, in some cases he cons people, other cases he just like, it's gets a little real, jobs. Some culture travelers are like yeah. the, the American gypsies. Uh, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, and his character needs to be whatever the person needs him to be that he's talking to. Um, but in between you actually do see not necessarily a loneliness. I don't think the film, again, I haven't seen it in a while, but I don't recall the film feeling particularly judgmental towards these characters. But I think this particular character does feel a certain loneliness, um, from doing this and not really getting attached to anybody in particular. And so I remember liking the film all around and thinking that he was a, a, an interesting choice to, to anchor it. 
Okay, so you haven't seen Mighty Joe Young. I have not. But we've both seen a civil plan. Yeah, that's okay. That's where all the stuff that I'm talking about really uh, comes into play. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, I guess, going back, it's it's uh, it's uh, indicative of his progression, or at least the progression of how people see him, mm-hmm. that he plays the role he does. You know, if a civil yeah. plan were made 10, 15 years earlier, he'd be like the Brent Briscoe character, yeah. you know? Um, the, but here he's the, he's the, the everyman. Yeah. And the, the dynamic between him and Billy Bob Thornton is really amazing. Like they definitely seem like brothers to me. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, despite having different Billy levels. Bob Thornton, by the way, one of the writers of one false move. Yes. Worth yes. Mentioning. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I definitely get a sense of their of their history, and the and the it's a wonderful script, uh, and the script itself is infused with these characters' past, like the the choices their parents made, uh, the choices they've made, like everything just hangs over them constantly. You know, mistakes they've made, and that they're still paying for. Um, you know, it is a very fatalistic movie in a lot of ways. And you actually, there's actually a voiceover in the film by Bill Paxton. And it is, it is some, somebody, somebody could hear it and think it sounds a little bit monotone. I would say it just is, uh, resigned, um, because of the nature of the story and his character and just, you know, when you see, when you see what his character has to go through, uh, throughout this film, uh, and you see where he ends up and you realize that he's narrating from that place, Mm -hmm. uh, then that explains the tone of the narration. But I will say that, you know, his character has to juggle so much. He has to juggle his lady Macbeth wife. Um, sorry, that's an overstatement, but the, the idea that she, (laughs) Slowly, I think her her performance is great too. But like um, that, she this just is like Bridget keeps. Fonda we're talking about, yeah, who's very sadly not in movies anymore. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if she was still in movies? Did she officially remove herself, or did she just? I, I, as I understand, she's yeah, essentially retired, and she's uh, uh, she's a, a mother to her okay. um, children that she has with Danny Elfman, right? Oh, I don't think I remember that they're together. Um, but uh, did they meet on this movie? It's possible. Oh boy. I, I don't um, know that much, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, she had a, uh, at least a nice, uh, two movie run for me with Jackie Brown. And now this, um, but, <clears throat> but this idea that he is constantly trying to figure things out and trying to manage Brent Briscoe's character, trying to manage Billy Bob Thornton's character and his wife, and then just himself. And, there are times when she just keeps needling him. And one of the things she's talking about is she's saying very difficult. What are probably truths um, saying that like, you know, if you, if we don't have the money, then it's just a matter of time before your, your brother kills himself, you know? Mm -hmm. And he, he like tells her to shut up and like, he looks really intense. But then at other moments, Billy Bob Thornton is confronting him about like, their father's death and that maybe it was intentional. I mean, there's, and just to see him struggle with these revelations and struggle with these thoughts. And then the final moment between he and, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Bob Thornton is just so 
uh, so heartbreaking. But now that I think about it, there's a moment with him and Gary Cole where he needs to be hard and he needs to be cold. Uh, because and I need to watch this movie again. I'm it's slipping away from it's so marvelous. Um, because and that's the thing is ultimately he's being faced with a guy who wants to kill him and he has to choose whether or not to to kill him and and we have to see a side to this character that we haven't seen before but a side that given everything he's experienced throughout the film a side that we can absolutely believe he arrived at um it really is a, a i mean i one false move is my favorite performance of his, but I do think that he doesn't get enough credit for this performance. Billy Bob Thornton got all the press, understandably so. It's a great performance, but Bill Paxton yeah, he really lost a lot of weight. Oh yeah, I guess there's that too, and Which kept think, it off, and kept it off as far. Yeah, as that's I can the thing tell. we like. We forget that Billy Bob Thornton lost so much weight for a simple plan because he he stayed that way. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's when you look back at sling blade or the apostle now and you see that he was or like dead man and yeah. you see him as like a bigger guy yeah that's when you uh that's when you remember when <laughs> that uh, he looks t- totally different than he th- that he looked totally different than he than he does now you mentioning billy bob thornton and dead man just makes me <laughs> think like god damn it i'm hit <laughs> burns like hellfire i'm gonna have to kill somebody oh, oh. man uh, all right, Sorry. let's let move on. I don't really have anything to say about U five seven one. Just to I, sort of mention that he played a lot of military roles. Yeah, yeah, and he would go on to play even more. Yeah. So, but that we, brings us to frailty. Indeed, a film direct, that you don't feature directorial debut. Yes, a film that you don't care for. If I'm not, mistaken. I have problems with the screenplay. I don't have okay. any problems uh, with his choices as a director. I think yeah. uh, that he does a, he does a great job. Yeah. He makes choices that I did not understand at the time. Not that I thought they were bad, but there are, you know, there's a direct reference to vertigo, uh, in this film. Like there's a dream sequence and in which, uh, Matt O'Leary's head is like just floating in nothingness, not unlike the dream sequence from vertigo. Um, and so it's very strange. It's, it's Matt O'Leary, right? The, the kid. Yes. Yes. Um, and so, you know, that he is drawing from Hitchcock to create this film is something I find fascinating. Um, and I think I think it's a, a pretty effective little thriller, and I like his performance in it as well. And I think it's become kind of a, a cult movie, I think. Absolutely. It, it, it wasn't... It wasn't very big when it came out, but I think there's a very devoted base of fans yeah. now who, who love frailty. Yeah. Oh, and I'll say this. Ugh. Because it deals with, you know, any it, it, with spiritual warfare, uh-huh. you know, uh, it is a film that has definitely developed a cult following in the Christian world. And so, for example, some of the uh, some of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of uh, other podcasts that do what more than one lesson does, although probably worse, um, almost assured, obviously, they don't have nearly as many podcast award nominations as I do. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I've decided that's my new thing. That's my new, uh, best actor state of Missouri. Oh, okay. Um, my multiple podcast so, award nominations. I, I wouldn't have thought you could find an award less <laughs> meaningful than the best teenage male actor. Yeah, but it's cumulative. <laughs> if you get nominated enough to, you will get you with quantity. Um, so, uh, <laughs> what the hell was I saying? Um, About frailty. Oh yeah. So I go to these, these sites. And so when Bill Paxton died, they said, you know, what's your favorite Bill Paxton role? It was all aliens and frailty, you know, with frailty edging out aliens pretty easily. Um, so it's, 
it definitely has has taken on uh, cult status. And actually, I have a subscription to Shudder, the uh, the oh, horror movie okay. streaming uh, site. I have it mostly to help out uh, Reed, who does the Fear of God podcast. Um, and I saw that they actually reintroduced frailty uh, into their streaming service in honor of Bill Paxton. So it definitely is is a, a film that people uh, have become aware of over the years. Um, I don't really have much to say about the Spy Kids sequels. Right. Uh, I actually never even saw the third one, which is named after one of Bill Paxton's most famous lines, by the way. Yeah, indeed. Uh, game over. Yeah. Um, so I don't... Do you have anything... Have you seen them? He is at the end of... Of, well, I mean, he's in these films in general, but I remember Spy Kids 2, or was it Spy Kids 3? No, I think it's Spy Kids 2, where he he is saying to the villain at the end, he says, game over for you, man. Uh, and I think from there, that's oh, okay. that's where they got the, the, which is obviously from Aliens, and then they got that from uh, for the third film. But I might be wrong about that. Um, it might yeah, be. He says it in one of them. I once had gotten to an argument with my nephew my nephew is currently, uh, this is my nephew on my wife's side, um, currently 12 years old, which okay. means he was maybe eight at the time that I had this argument yeah. about which one was which about the Spy Kids sequels. I was like, though, the second one is when they go to the island, the third one, third one's a video game. And he was like, no, it's the other way around. They go to the video game and i was like no i i know i saw him and then i got out my phone i'm arguing with an eight-year-old i got out my now phone you listen to me you little shit and i pulled up the imdb app and i showed him and he went your computer's wrong <laughs> <laughs> and then the argument changed to whether computers can be wrong <laughs> for another hour um okay now I have not seen really anything. I didn't see Club Dread. I kind of okay. wish I had. I'll mention Club Dread. It's not very good, but it is, uh, you know, again, indicative of what kind of actor and how game he was that he was like, yeah, like he that he saw Super Troopers and was like, I want to work oh, with yeah. those guys uh, because he plays sort of a like the idea. He's like a Jimmy Buffett. Type. Yeah. Play his character's name is Coconut Pete. Yeah. And so people come to this island. I don't remember. Sam Levine's in it. It's yeah. not it's not very good. Super Troopers. Maybe maybe that's another yeah, one that's, hit wonder. That's a good one uh, because Super Troopers is so great, and they just never got it back. Yeah, uh, uh, those guys. Um, it's it's too bad. Yeah, Club Dread is uh, uh, a curio, I guess, but it's not particularly good. Um, but I have to mention Big Love. Right, I've never seen a single episode of it. I've seen every single every single episode. Okay, I've seen enough for for the both of us. All right. Um, uh, this is a, uh, I, I think this series was really underrated. Well, the fourth season is dreadful. Um, but it did come back and I'm glad, it, I'm glad I watched the final season, which was a shorter season. I only watched it because my wife, now wife, then girlfriend, I don't know why I have to, I always, I, I get it. Um, uh, it was a show we watched together and I hated the fourth season and the fifth season came back. And I was like, I'm not gonna watch it. She was like, they're only doing like eight episodes or whatever. Let's just see it through. And I'm glad I did. Cause they, they righted the ship a little bit and ended the show sort of on the terms of where it should have ended from when they started it. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, is, is Bill Paxton. Um, and how this is, um, this is an odd role, even given the range we've seen from him, mm-hmm. uh, this is an odd role that he's playing a, um, a person who's, 
to the community first and foremost known as a successful businessman because he owns a chain of uh like big box hardware stores mm. um and is is very successful successful enough that he can own three houses next to each other to keep his three families in and yeah. that's of course the 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 engine of the show is um is that he is uh uh a polygamist um but with a public face as opposed to the he, his character came from the sort of uh of fundamentalist like um the world that you the kind of thing you read about in in uh under the banner of heaven mm-hmm. you read that right yeah yeah um he came from that world um and sort of escaped or was essentially kicked out uh tried to go straight, married um, uh, Jean Triplehorn's character. And then when she got sick and almost died, he fell in love with her nurse and then sort of talked her back into becoming a polygamist. And then they recruited Jennifer Goodwin's character. Anyway, um, it's, it, 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 it does, it did seem like a departure, even given the range we've seen from him. It seemed like a, uh, a departure because he's not the comic relief, but he's also not, the everyman that we've seen in uh, the sympathetic everyman that we've seen in um, uh, Apollo 13 or, or a simple plan. He's in a way, see the show is, the show is so good that I, uh, it's hard. Like I want to say he's the villain, but he's not like Harry Dean Stanton's character is the villain, right? But he's the sort of secret villain of the show because the show is presented as if he's the, the protagonist, right? But it's really about his wives, mm-hmm. and he is the thing that brings them together, but that they have to sort of navigate. Yeah. Um, and so he has to play a character that is incredibly charming, which he can do, mm-hmm. uh, but also slimy, which he can do. Yeah. Um, but I think there's also a self righteousness that maybe we hadn't seen from him before. You know, yeah. he plays a character who has convinced himself and all these other people in his life, in his life that, that his way is, um, the, the, the right way. And that he, as the, he has this, this patriarchal, literal patriarchal yeah. uh, role. Um, and he also, this is something that I never thought of before. Uh, even when he's playing leading man roles, I never really thought of Bill Paxton as handsome. Hmm. but bill the character in big love is very handsome yeah i think that's kind of part of his charm and he's he's very well dressed yeah um and he's and so he plays that sort of uh he plays that uh, contrast actually very subtly because this is a guy who's again like you know righteous and pious and all that but he's also very vain the show never I think to its credit, never made that a major plot point, yeah. but kept it under the surface that he has, he drives nice cars. He always wears nice suits. Um, he, his, uh, ability to his, his, his idea of his own sexual prowess is very impo- important mm-hmm. to him, uh, with his three wives. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a complex role and it was, you know, we hadn't seen him do serial television like yeah. this, uh, before, um, and he played it for, for five years, uh, and made a character that was at once, um, like so many, uh, you know, big love because it's such a, it's such an oddball show. It doesn't get thought of as being part of that 2000s trend of yeah. the, 
anti-hero, yeah. you know, but that's exactly what he is. He's often very sympathetic and often very repellent yeah. at the same time. And I've often, I've also said like, I wish that we were like doing the website, uh, uh, like as much as we are then now back then, because I would have loved to write a piece comparing big love in the shield and comparing, hmm. uh, bill with Vic Mackey because, uh, on the surface, they're completely different characters, but both of the, the characters and both of the stories of the show are about them in a constant scramble and panic to keep their, the hidden parts of their lives hidden yeah. and are uh, at every turn, offers an opportunity for them to get found out. And it had, there's a, there's a paranoia intention. Hmm. Anyway, uh, big loves a really good show. If you can stomach that fourth season, which was a real, you know, sometimes shows just wander off in the woods for a season and then they have to come back. All right. Let, let me uh, ask you this, by the way. And I had this thought as you were, as you were talking about, uh, big love. If Bill Paxton had lived longer, do you think, he would get what could only be described as the Harry Dean Stanton role. Both of them have a very specific uh, type of folksy quality to them. Both were in alien movies um, and both just seemed very working class. Um, I think there's, there could be more of a rugged handsomeness to, to Bill Paxton, but uh, the two do seem similar to me. I think there's, uh, something speaking of Harry Dean Stanton, there was something that Roger Ebert said about Harry Dean Stanton, mm-hmm. which is that I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote, but like any movie that has Harry Dean Stanton in it won't be all bad. Like that's, there's like yeah. a, a little bit of a relief if Harry Dean Stanton is going to be it's like, I know I'm going to enjoy at least some of this movie yeah. because Harry Dean Stanton's in it. And I do think this is the, the story that I'm laying out is he starts as this, uh, character, comic relief, often actor becomes, respectable leading man gets the prestige role with, with like big love. And I think after that he decided he'd, I wonder maybe I'm obviously projecting. He decided he'd proven something and then went back into, I think being more comfortable playing oddball character roles. Yeah. And so, uh, I do think uh, you mentioned Harry Dean Stanton. I was thinking when we'll get to a movie later, we'll all think of him as a, a Timothy Carey, uh, type where he could, uh, who's, you know, the crazy guy from the killing. Um, uh, and, uh, um, what else is he in? He's in, uh, the name uh, definitely sounds familiar. Uh, one eyed Jacks. You'll know him when you, when you see him. Sure. Um, uh, but just sort of like a character actor who's a wild card, you know? Um, Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, this guy. Yeah. Um, I could see him being sort of being that. I don't know if Haywire fits into that to transition. Uh, I don't think so because the, that character is actually one of the more stable ones. He's, right. he's the main character's father and you know, he needs to be world weary and smart. And while he's never been involved in something quite this, uh, complex. Um, he is, uh, solid. He is a, a source of strength for her and a source of stability for us, I would say. Right, right. Yeah. 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 You're, you're exactly right. Um, uh, I, I like the movie a lot, but let's move on to the movie that I think is one of the, uh, unsung highlights of his, oh, uh, late right. resume. And that's two guns, which I still haven't seen. He will. He plays, this is the Timothy Carey type of like, uh, violent wild card character actor role. He plays a garishly corrupt DEA agent 
um, and the main villain of, of the story, even though for most of the movie, he's kind of villain by proxy until they actually meet up with him mm-hmm. uh, at the end. But he has a scene. At the, I, I want to say it's his introductory scene um, where he's as a DEA, DEA agent. He's interrogating, I think, like the local sheriff or something. And while he's doing it, he he picks up this stack of like note cards from the DEA agent or the mm-hmm. sheriff's like desk and a bunch of thumbtacks. And just while he's talking to him, he's sort of just absentmindedly poking thumbtacks through this stack of note cards. Mm-hmm. And then when the scene turns, he wham. Now he's got this weapon, this stack of note cards with thumbtacks mm-hmm. sticking out of it. And he pins the guy's hand down to the, to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of energy he brings to the yeah. entire movie. Unpredictable, uh, and violent and darkly funny. Um, hmm. I really like two guns. I feel like I, I wanted to see it at the time and just, uh, just forgot, uh, between that and big love. I have, uh, some stuff to watch. Um, yeah. Uh, I never saw a million dollar arm. Neither did I. And to go back a little bit, I never saw, um, Hatfields oh. and McCoy's. I heard great oh, things right. about it and, and I would like to see, uh, I would like to see it. <laughs> Um, along um, with along with cops and military guys, he did play cowboys pretty well. Um, you yeah. know, he was in uh, you know true uh, sorry uh, Tombstone, and then this right. Uh, one we skipped over because neither of us had seen it, but uh, a made-for-TV movie called Bright, A Bright Shining Lie, right? Suppo- yeah. Supposed to be great, uh, yeah. From what I've heard, um, I I think I only saw one of his Agents of Shield uh, episodes. Oh, okay. Um, uh, he was um, definitely in two guns mode in that he was really yeah. uh, swinging for the fences from, from what I saw and, and good for him. Um, and then let's talk about edge of tomorrow. Or should I say lived? I repeat, which one should I say? Let's not say that. <laughs> Does that um, bother you? I don't know. It shouldn't. Who cares? Yeah. Um, whatever gets the film seen more, but uh, yeah, uh, I enjoy him tremendously in yeah. edge of tomorrow. Um, he's a military guy. He's, you know, this, uh, this Sergeant type, uh, he has to be very upright. He can only be a certain type of funny, um, but he is funny um, and very authoritative. And he needs, you know, he is a plot wise. He is an agent of oppression. You know, he is the one that is keeping our main character from doing what he wants to do. And right. yet he is not a villain. Right, uh, yeah. And we never see him that way. We see him as a guy who does his job and is actually quite charming. Uh, I, I love his performance. Yeah. And he's, um, he's again, he's go, like, as he often did. Uh, he's one of the actors who could do this. Well, he's going big here. Yeah. You know, with, uh, the accent in the, he's got a mustache in this one. Yes, Is that does. right? Like, yeah, he, he kind of looks like he could play like even going all the way back to the punk rocker to ring it full circle. Yeah. He could play someone who looks like almost a lazy archetype, uh, and play them big and yet still find, uh, humanity and idiosyncrasy and personality. Yeah. In them. Um, and then there's Nightcrawler. I love him in Nightcrawler. Yeah. Like I can't, I mean, obviously Jake Gyllenhaal does some great work as does Rene Russo. And it's a visually gorgeous film. There's a lot I love about Nightcrawler, but I do think that his, perf- that Bill Paxton's performance does not get enough love. He was, he was like on my, my BP's supporting, a- supporting actor shortlist for a okay. while. Um, because he, when I think of Bill Paxton, I think of a guy who actually cleans up quite well and is clean cut most of the time and, and just wears, 
it's hard to say, it's hard to explain. Like wears form fitting clothing and just seems to have it together for mm-hmm. the most part. So to play this guy, you know, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Nightcrawler is like above average creepy. <laughs> But let's not forget that the very nature of this job is inherently sleazy. Right. And that sleaze is embodied wonderfully by Bill Paxson's character, who just seems a little bit slovenly. Like, mm-hmm. he he seems to be unshaven, but not in a fashionable way. His hair's a little bit longer, but not because he wanted it to be. He just hasn't gotten a haircut in a while. His clothes are kind of loose-fitting and shitty. Yeah. Um, he is just... I won't say like he's not scum of the earth, but he is a bit scummy and he's standard he is, issue sleazy. He is standard issue sleazy. That's perfect. And, uh, and I remember just thinking like, that's great. Like the idea that he is standard issue sleazy with this job. Renee Russo is, is standard issue, uh, sleazy and aggressive in her job. And the idea that these people have no idea the rocket that is coming towards them in the form of Jake Gyllenhaal, but it's important that they embody what they are. And I can, and I, I love the, the idea that this character is as sleazy as he is, but because he's had some level of success, he doesn't question it, and he has he has the audacity to be cocky and egotistical. He reminds me in some ways of Tom Likas. Uh, not that the character is, is like that very much, <laughs> yeah. but Tom Likas is. I don't I don't like to talk about body type or anything like that like that. But he's this big fat guy who has a terrible voice, but will not stop talking about how much women love him and. And he just seems so like everything about him is repellent. And that is what Bill Paxson seemed like to me. But again, he's still kind of charming, but it's that slimy kind of charm that we've seen elsewhere. I, I was excited to talk about his performance in Nightcrawler because, uh, not enough people do. Uh, well, uh, we could probably end it there. Cause I don't think I haven't watched the, the training day show. Um, I didn't. I wanted to, when I saw that he was a part of it, I liked uh, the idea of him playing a corrupt cop. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I did, I hate to end with this. I did see term life. It's a very, very bad movie. Okay. And it seems like a, a very pale echo of the, his character. Uh, and this is not his fault. It's on the page. It's just a pale echo of his two guns character. Um, hmm. so let's not talk too much about term life. Well, and then, uh, so looking at this, there's this one called mean dreams. I don't know anything about it. It might be good. It might be bad, but it definitely looks like he is prominently featured in the film. I'd be curious to, to look into it. Um, and then I see here that there's something called Texas rising, which he mm-hmm. played Sam Houston. So obviously there's an, El- uh, an Alamo quality right. to that. So, and then uh, he's in, uh, the circle, which is, um, uh, a movie coming out later this year. That's, uh, uh, I guess gotten some, uh, uh Oh, James Ponsel. He did, uh, the end of the tour. Uh, yeah. And it's, um, uh, also stars Tom Hanks and it's based on a Dave Eggers novel. As oh, okay. was the Tom Hanks movie, um, uh, Halloween Game for the King. So obviously Tom Hanks right. is a big Dave Eggers uh, fan. So I know that movie's getting some attention. So that, I guess that'll be his his last role. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's very sad. Um, you know, 61 is pretty young these yes. days. Yeah. Uh, and 
Especially for a guy who seemed so full yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a guy who seemed healthy and probably could have, you know, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. This isn't, a, you know, he didn't have a stroke. He didn't have cancer. He didn't die of a heart attack or something like that. This was complications from something. So this is definitely, you know, I'm not saying like the, the doctor screwed up or anything like that, but there's definitely an outside situation. Uh, so it mm-hmm. kind of makes you wonder like, oh, maybe if things had gone just slightly a different way, maybe everything would be fine. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he's an actor that that i'm trying to think if i would see a movie solely because he was in it uh honestly probably not but not unlike what you're saying with harry dean stanton you always know if he is in 10 percent of the movie you know the movie is at least 10 percent reliable yeah um and we you know we actually didn't talk about um his other directorial one of his other directorial uh movies uh the greatest game ever played which is kind of a um, it's a well-made movie um, yeah. in which uh, he directed um, a young Shia LaBeouf as a, in the true right. story of a golf golf player. It's kind of your, I don't remember. Uh, I don't think it was, was it a, yes, it is. It's, it's one of those live action Walt Disney sports movies. Okay. It's, yeah. it's very, and he did a good job yeah. uh, uh, bringing one of those to life. It definitely doesn't have the quite of quite the character of, of frailty. But, yeah. Um, I wonder what else he would have done as a director. Yeah, I um, I do want to go back to this narrative that you're talking about of his life. This because it what a, what an odd career mm-hmm. that he does go from very reliable character actor to you know as I was scrolling through some of these movies uh, in the '90s. Now some of them I've seen and some of them I haven't. But you know. If you go on on IMDb, you're seeing like the poster and he's often featured in the 90s. He's often featured on the poster, often alongside other people. But his name is above the title. Uh And so he was a leading man. He was never, I would say, maybe two or three years he was. I'm reluctant to even say a star, but for all intents and purposes, a star. Right. Um and then that went away, and I don't necessarily think it's because his star was falling or anything like that. It just seemed to be like as he got older, maybe uh, he just kind of f- fell. I say fall as though it wasn't his choice, but like fell back into, as you say, character roles that he was great at. And, def- and he definitely seemed to embrace television a lot more, you know, whether it be miniseries like this, uh, Texas rising or mm-hmm. Hatfields and McCoys or big love or training day or Agents um, of shield. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I could see him being, uh, uh an actor that translates very well to television. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he had a great deal of, of charisma and again, also I think brought a, a fair amount of heart to the roles that required it, like in uh, a simple plan or, um, or, uh, uh, one false move. So yeah, I'm, I was very sad, uh, that, that, that he died because yeah. he is in his own way, he was something of a, of a signifier for me. Like when I was a kid, aliens is a movie that I watched and I always remembered Hudson. And I will say that when the time came 
for me to make aliens is when I was 14, <laughs> I played this character named Sheldon. So I played the Hudson character because I thought that character was so interesting and so dynamic. Um, so when do I get to see aliens? No, you are not seeing that. Nobody gets to see aliens is, um, I, by the way, I ripped off that title from a SNL sk- oh, I sketch. Know you did. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, in which, in which, uh, I believe Dana Carvey played the, the Hudson role. Oh, and, right. yeah. and, uh, so, um, so yeah, he was, he, he factored into a lot of the movies that I watched when I was younger or a number of them anyway. And then as I got older, I had a deeper appreciation for his ability as an actor. And so I would say if nothing else, if you take anything away from this, it's seek out one false move. Definitely. It's a wonderful uh, film all around, but also if you haven't seen a simple plan, check that out. And some of these other films that we've been talking about. So RIP Bill Paxton. Yes. Um, so you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find all, all sorts of, uh, uh, all sorts of fun stuff that we talked about earlier. If you go, if you search for it, you can find my review of two guns, uh, <laughs> from when that came out. Uh, I, I probably wasn't as effusive then, then as I am now. I think it's a movie that has improved in my memory. There are uh, other critics we know that liked it, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, so that's at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Uh, I, David, am on uh, Twitter at Davy Pretension. Uh, Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Uh, you mentioned more than one lesson. You got the. Um, well, you mentioned it on the. You mentioned on this podcast, too. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, you got a, a face in the crowd. Yeah, uh, we talk about episode. the Ilya Kazan film, A Face in the Crowd, and my guest, uh, Jeff Newberg, and I, we have a very, very in-depth conversation about politics. The episode is about two and a half hours long, and a solid hour and 15 minutes of that is politics. Fun stuff. Uh, so check all that out, and thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.